the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Today we remember St. Augustine of Canterbury. St. Augustine was born in Rome. He eventually became an abbot of a monastery, the monastery of St. Andrew. But then St. Gregory the Great, Pope of Rome, sent him and several other monks to Britain. Now Britain had emerged from Roman rule and was a patchwork at this point. It was a bunch of small kingdoms. There was no king of England. There was the king of Kent. There was the king of Sussex. There was the king of Wessex. There was all these different kings. And they were all different ethnicities. There were the native Britons. There were Celts. There were Angles. There were Saxons. There were Jews. Some were Christian. Some were not. So Gregory sent Augustine with this mission to Christianize Britain bring everyone to Christ. And what that meant was, at the time was, that you had to convert the king. Because if you didn't convert the king, nobody else was going to convert. So he was sent to the kingdom of Kent with King Ethelbert. Now, King Ethelbert was a pagan, but his wife was a Frank, and she was Christian. And there is speculation that she perhaps had requested Gregory send a delegation to convert her husband. So Augustine came with his monks and, and worked the work of God in, in Britain. Uh, and he did convert Ethelbert. He founded a monastery and a, a school in what was then, what is now Canterbury. At some point he was supposed to move that to London, but that never happened, probably because it was under a different king. But that's why even today, uh, the senior bishop of the Church of England is not in London, but in Canterbury. In 601, Augustine was named the first Archbishop of Canterbury. And all the archbishops since then trace their lineage back to him. So, he did wonderful works when he was in Britain. But, as you can read in the back of your your booklet in his little Bible, there was one aspect of his mention in which he was not successful. You see, at the time, being a patchwork of kingdoms and things like that, there were already bishops in Britain, but they had different practices and things of that nature. And so, part of Augustine's mission was to bring all these bishops into Roman practice and bring them under his authority. And he failed. His successors eventually did this, but Augustine himself failed. And there's two prevailing theories on why he failed, and they both have something to say to us today. One theory is that um, he held a meeting, and he called all the bishops in Britain together. And not knowing what they should do, they were advised that they should show him the respect that he showed them when they arrived at the meeting. 
And when they arrived at the meeting, Augustine did not rise to greet them. Augustine sat there as if he expected their respect without giving them any. You see, respect, even though it may be owed someone, still has to be earned. It might have been better if Augustine had kept in, the word, in, in his mind today the, the, the words we hear today of St. James. St. James gives us a formula for respect. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, I could probably repeat those to myself over and over, and I would do myself a lot of good because I have problems with all three of those. But because he didn't show respect to these bishops that were already there, and he was the newcomer, they decided they didn't need to respect him, so they went back on their way. And it was, it was quite a bit longer before the actual British church began to unify under Canterbury. There's another reason, perhaps, why uh, he did not succeed in his mission to bring these bishops under his authority. Um, and that is that he didn't know them. He didn't know them. He didn't know their customs. He really perhaps didn't take the time to learn how they were doing things differently than what he was hoping they would do. He thought perhaps he could just come in and say, well, here's how we're all going to do it from now on. And they kind of laughed at him and went on their way. But we behave differently toward people we know than toward people we don't know. Joseph Stalin said, one death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic. And that's sad, but true. Why? Because we can mentally engage with one death. We can empathize with one person. We can understand one person's suffering, one person's death. But a million? We behave differently towards people we know versus people we don't know. I find that in my life there's two places that I encounter lots of people that I don't know. The first is in traffic. <laughs> now, not yesterday, but last Saturday, I was on my way to church. And I'm late. Imagine that, any of you who know me. So I'm already angry, I'm already frustrated, and I make this, I make the left off of Oakmont onto Brian Urban, and ahead of me is this car in the right lane where I need to be. And this car is perhaps not going as fast as I would have liked. So here I am, I'm already angry, I'm already frustrated, I am ready to explode at this person, right? Until I realize it's Pat. <laughs>
Now, what kind of monster would I have to be to explode in anger at Pat? <laughs> and thank God, God granted me the patience and restraint that I did not. I just merely followed her into the parking lot, and it was okay. I wasn't, you know. But the bad part is that if I had not recognized her, if I had not seen who it was, I might very well have just let loose. Right? Because we behave differently toward people that we know versus people that we don't know. I'll give you another example. Another place I run into people that I don't know all the time is on the internet. So I'm browsing the internet and I see this article and some politician in Washington says something with which I totally disagree. Just makes me furious that he said this. No, it's not the president. So don't, don't, let's not go there. But this politician has said something which just makes me furious. So I am ready to go. I am getting on Facebook because, you know, angry Facebook posts have solved almost every problem in the world. <laughs> So I'm getting ready to make my angry Facebook post. And Facebook has this feature where if you put an at sign and then start typing the person's name, it will link to that person's profile so you can make sure they see your angry Facebook post. <laughs> so I start typing this politician's name. And you know, most politicians, they have a, a professional page, right? So if you do that, some staff member is going to make a note, okay, one person was angry. As far as it goes. But that's not what happened in this case. As I start typing the person's name, it comes up and it's linked to his personal profile. And what does it say in the little info box? You have six mutual friends. <laughs> well, now I can't explode, can I? <laughs> because my six mutual friends with him might see it, and, and, and then I would be embarrassed, right? I mean, how dare he? How dare he be an actual human being? <laughs> how dare he not be the caricature that I just want to make him out to be, right? How dare he be somebody that I might actually have to relate to as a human being? How dare he be someone that Jesus would say, I should call neighbor? I mean, how dare he be someone that if I saw him injured on the side of the road, Jesus would expect me to go and assist, even though I was a Samaritan? Right? We behave differently toward people we know and people we don't know. Some of you have heard me talk about, when I was younger, I used to have like three different personas. One for church, one for school, one for, for home, right? But what's the problem with that? The problem is that when we stand before the dread judgment seat of Christ, there's not going to be three of us. There's not even going to be two of us. There's not going to be the person that we are to friends and the person we are to people we don't know. Here's the really scary part. 
there's not even going to be two of us, the person we are in public and the person we are in private. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, James tells us. That's not just how we deal with people. That's how we're supposed to deal with God, too. And we better pray that's how he deals with us. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because wrath worketh not the righteousness of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.